0: So good morning again, Acts four thirty two, 32, um, and the title of today's message is All Things in Common, All Things in Common. Uh, last week, uh, if you remember, we talked about and we read and we learned about Peter and John, how they were before the council. Religious leaders had gotten together after they witnessed God heal somebody through these men and them share the resurrection, and that upset them greatly. Um, But they commanded them not to speak in Jesus' name, and we saw that these guys said, Well, it's up to you to decide whether it's right or wrong, but we're going to obey God over you because we've seen God alive, and and we can't cover that up. Uh, When they got back uh, to the other believers, they rejoiced and they prayed, and I think that the most awesome result of their prayer was that God shook them up. That again, God showed up in a physical, palpable way where they were meeting when they prayed and answered their prayer right away. And I think we need to let God shake up our lives. <laughs> As I say that, I go, Ugh. do I really want to say that? Because I know, especially um, uh, sharing the word of God, that God begins to bring those things home and bring those things home through the, uh, when you begin to share something with somebody, he works it out in your own life. Um, so man, I, I know God wants to shake things up in my life. Um, but again, how does that happen? Through prayer, through prayer. You know, the, the scientists and geologists are a little worried about the West Coast right now. I guess some uh, volcanoes have gone off and some earthquakes have happened and they're concerned that a bigger one might come. But, man, uh, would we be a little concerned about that? Would God want, want to shake up our lives and begin to, to break and move the things in our lives that need to get moved and rearrange the things in our lives that need to get rearranged, that we might be in a, in a more peaceful place with him, that even despite everything that goes on around us and in us and uh, to us sometimes, that we would be available and ready to just spend time with God and be used by him and not really chained down by uh, the things that go on around us. Uh, But Lord, we pray today that, God, you would continue to shake us up and change us and mold us and make us, God, we need it. Lord, I know I need it. And uh, God, I pray just for my friends here, my brothers and sisters here, and those that we know and we're friends with, whether in Maryland or other states or family, Lord, we know that, God, you are... Uh, want to work good things in their lives as well but sometimes you have to shake things up and lord i pray that you would uh, do that in us and uh, through us and uh, god that you would you would just ultimately be glorified in it that we might know you better uh, because god that's the most valuable thing is is our relationship with you so god may there be nothing in between us and you in jesus name amen so before we dig into the verses um you know the word common that we're going to look at is the word koinos. Or and we might think, as a Christian been around that it's K-O-I-N-O-S, O-S, is os letter, but uh basically it means shared by all or several, but it also had this picture of being uh profane even or common or undefiled or unclean, but we're looking at the the more common mean of common meaning shared by all or several, and I think we'd all have that same thing today that. You know, there's things that we have in common. You know, you go to uh, the movie theater and the soda machine is something we all have in common. But your cup, you don't have that in common with someone else. If so, you know, you wouldn't pick up the cup off the ground cause that's, and drink out of that. But we're talking about the things that are in common. You know, the things that are holy are separate, are kept aside. Like I said, like that cup that you have, that's holy. You're not going to let the guy down the aisle drink from it unless you know him, maybe. Uh, But other things like that are holy, like marriage, matters of your heart, things that you might share with a close friend that you might not share with somebody else. You know, you're not going to treat these things that are holy as things that are common. But also uh, the word koinonia, if you've been around Christianity for a while, you've probably heard that. And it means fellowship. It's the root word of koinos, but it means fellowship, which means communion. Joint participation, the share uh, which one has in anything, our participation, especially in Christianity, where we have this fellowship that other people don't have, where we can get along and get together because the Spirit of God dwells in us. It's not based on anything else other than that the Spirit of God is within us, and because of that, we love each other naturally. Just, oh, hey, you're a believer? That's awesome. I don't know if you've ever been out anywhere and you're talking with someone and you meet them or maybe you're doing business somewhere and you find out they're a believer, it's like, I knew there was something different about you and immediately there's this connection. You know, even if it doesn't go beyond that, maybe you never talk again, you're not friends, but you have this connection. You know, I had that uh when I was car shopping in New York a while back, uh, the lady who was selling me the car, we were talking and I just knew something was different and then I heard on the radio, it was a Christian station and then we got in this conversation and um I might share it with you, but it was just God just opened up these doors for us to to talk and have fellowship and it was um it, it was something different. You know, you don't always get that when you're going out, especially car shopping. <laughs> <laughs> But really, you know, do we share only what is common for us or unclean or used? You know, if you go to Goodwill or something like that and you give away things, are you giving away the things that are just common to you, the things that maybe you don't use anymore, the things that don't matter anymore? I know we had all these boxes that thankfully Gus was here to help me <laughs> before he ordered his back to, to move all these things in. Um, I don't know how I would have done it otherwise, but we look through these boxes and go, why do we still have this? Or why do we still have these things? So not to toot my own horn, we gave it to Goodwill. But the point there is well was it really that valuable to me was it really just well i have two options i could put it in the trash i don't know anybody who needs it or i'll give it to goodwill so was it really that much of a valuable gift on my part probably not probably not it was probably just a, a way for me to to get rid of it that was at least a little better than than throwing it out and nothing was in bad shape really it was just we didn't have any use for it anymore and I say that because I think sometimes when we give to those in need or other believers or God even, we give the leftovers. You know, you have the guests over, and I feel bad. I, you know, I didn't realize it too late that we didn't have anything to, to feed you guys with today. But I'm not going to go in there and scrape together, you know, a couple grapes that are in the back of the fridge and say, <laughs> Hey, guys, here's one for you and one for you and one for you. And, they're, hey, they're still good. They're in the fridge. No, you know, because I value you. You know, where I'd rather not give you anything than give you something that was common or un- not of worth to me. You know, that's my favorite couch. I like to nap on that. You know, <laughs> I'm not. Don't sit on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, I, I want you guys to be comfortable in the same way. You know, what do we give our friends, our families, our job? You know, the body of Christ. Do we give our leftovers? Or do we give our first firstfruits uh, is that term in the Bible where God talked about you'd go out and you'd work and you'd plow your field. And when you harvest, you'd give the first crop to God and you keep the rest for yourself. And then even he said, even then that there were these leftovers in the field that the poor could come in and glean off of. Um, God has a model for all these things, but I think sometimes we end up sharing something that's invaluable to us and putting it off as it is something valuable. Either to puff ourselves up or puff somebody you know, put our our ego into the mix. But I think that God wants us to share what's most valuable with him and the body of believers around us. And not that we don't give elsewhere, but the things that are valuable to us are the things that we're gonna share with the people that are most valuable to us. Maybe that doesn't mean you don't even know somebody. But, you know, God said even about sharing the gospel, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine, that, yeah, we need to share the gospel with the whole world, but sometimes there are situations where this person is not going to receive this, this person is just going to mock it, I probably shouldn't share that with him. And that's something you need to be prayerful about, because we could all sit back in the seat of judgment and go, I don't want to share with anybody, they're all going to mock it. But really, we need to be careful with what's most valuable to us and how we invest it. In the same way, um, with a lot of things. Sometimes, even if the thing that's valuable is a burden, we need to share it. If we have a hurt or a pain or a struggle, it's valuable to be open and honest and truthful with those that we know that we can trust those things. And hopefully those people are the people in the body of Christ, whether it's us in this room together today, whether it's believers we know somewhere else. But there needs to be people in our lives that we can share these valuable hurts with others, you know, because God cares about those things. You know, God says he collects every tear that we have in a jar, in a bottle, the Bible says. So God cares about our hurts. God cares about our pains, and they are very valuable to him. He does not enjoy it when we go through hard things. He, he empathizes with us. But really, what do we have in common? What do you and I have in common? Um, as believers, like we said, sometimes it's just Jesus. Sometimes the only thing we have in common is Jesus. We don't even live in the same neighborhood. We don't live in the same country. Sometimes we don't even speak the same language. But really, that is the most valuable thing. All those other things don't matter in the body of Christ, as we're going to hopefully see today. But let's go on and pick it up in verse 32, Acts 4, 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's interesting, again, we see this whole multitude again, that all these believers, God have been working in the past few weeks or a few days and saved all these people through the witness and through the miracles and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. These people had come to know Jesus. And it says that the multitude was all together with one heart and one soul. And I think that's a miracle in and of itself. You know, how often do you see a multitude um, with one heart and one soul? I mean, maybe you go to a sports game and everyone's all one heart, one soul. They're all painted purple for the Ravens or whatever, and they're cheering. But There's always someone else in the crowd who maybe is not so that much into it or maybe is even rooting for the other team or who knows these days. But that's a miracle in itself. I think, you know, you can be in a room of uh, 10 people and get 20 opinions sometimes. Um, you know, we had a conversation about politics at work the other day and it was interesting. It was good, but um it was interesting. But how often do we agree with even just one person? You know, if you're married or you have a, a close friend, how often do you really totally agree with that person the more you're friends with them? I mean, generally when we first become friends with people, there's kind of this, oh, you know, I don't wanna say anything to bother you, I don't want to say anything to offend you and we kinda of have these careful things up, which I think are good because we wanna be nice, we you know we want to make sure people know where we're coming from and, you know, we're listening and caring about others. But after a while, you know, when you have a good friend, you can just be totally honest with them, even if you disagree. And that's healthy. And that's not what God is saying here. He's not saying that they all had one mind and where there were no disagreements in that sense. You know, it's healthy to have disagreements. We're not a bunch of robots. We're not a cult. It's, we're different people, different flavors, and there's going to be disagreements. But it's, is our heart the same? Is our mind the same? Are we all trying to go towards the same goal? Know Jesus, let other people know Jesus, and serve him while we're on earth together. And if that means that you like worship a little different than me, that's fine. If that means you like, uh, you know, different translation of the Bible, as long as it's not heretical, that's fine. You know, there's there's things that, that we can disagree with about. But I think it's awesome that they were all together in one mind and one heart. And that's the way God wants it for us, that we would be that way, that we would be that way. And what we see coming out of this, at least in this early church, is that they said neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. That's a wild concept. That's a very wild concept. And I think people can go one way or the other with this. But I hope that we can dig through and I hope that we can get a a nugget of truth from uh, what maybe the Bible is saying here. But that being said, if they said that any of the things that they possessed were not their own, Does that mean that the Bible then, or God even, does not believe in personal property? Is this sort of like maybe you've heard, I don't know, I heard about growing up, about Native Americans and some of the cultures didn't have the idea of personal possessions, everything was everybody's and you just kind of went along? I don't know. Is this uh, like the idea of not saying mine or not having ownership? You know, like you heard it this morning, my daughter was running going, mine, mine, my mouse, my mouse, my mouse, that's mine, mine, mine. She has this thing now, I guess it's just in her stage of development, and it's been a while, where she'll see something and go, Daddy, I love this. And she's never seen it before, you know, it's like I gave her one of my flashlights this morning, she's like, Daddy, I love this. <laughs> you know, um, or she'll say, mine, she'll see a car in the parking lot, she'll go, "Ooh, I love this, mine? I'll go, no, no, baby, it's <laughs> not yours. She'll see something on TV, mine? No. <laughs> You know, that she has this, this in there. But really, God created personal property, ownership, responsibility to the things that we own and we work for. I mean, think about Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, this is the garden. Take care of it. I made it, but you're responsible for it. You know, even in the Ten Commandments in uh, Exodus uh, 20, Commandment 5 says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So God prefaces the rest of these commandments for between us and man that we need to do labor. We need to do work. And number six is honor your father and mother who made you because they're doing a lot of work to raise you. So you got to take care for that. But number seven, I think it gets back on topic. Uh, it says don't murder. Don't take someone else's life. That someone else's life does not belong to you. You can't take it. You know, First Corinthians six nineteen through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And are you not your own? you we were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are gods, that we belong to God. That whether we're believers or not, God created us and put life in us. And we're, the only, we're not the ones who can make the decision based on life or death. You know, we can get into the argument about um, capital punishment. That's a little different. But the point of being of just going around and just saying, oh, I don't like you. I'm going to kill you. God says, no, that's wrong because that life does not belong to you. He says, do not commit adultery. Taking someone else's spouse They don't belong to you. That's not that they're a possession, but that they're not yours to be doing that with. And God says, do not steal. So if there's stealing, that means that something belongs to someone else, that you're taking something that does not belong to you. So God specifically says, don't mess with someone else's personal property. Or coveting even. He says, don't like your neighbor's house, don't want your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female, nor his ox, nor his donkey, no problem there, nor anything that is your neighbor's. God says, your neighbor has things, you might not have those things. Don't covet them. Don't steal them. Don't take them away from him. So if that's what God says, if that's God's law, why does the church say that anything he had was not his own? That they went around and said, wow, this is amazing. God, you're doing something. Wow, all my stuff, it's not my own. It's not my own. You know, does this negate the idea of personal property or capitalism even? No. You know, hard work is is bearing results is something that God is about. God says, put work in, you get results. God created things. You look back and said it was good. God commands in the Bible for us to work. If, you're, if you want to eat, you got to work. And it talks about Thessalonians about being responsible, that these believers were looking up and being irresponsible and not going about their daily business because they thought the Lord was coming back right away, which was the idea of, yeah, that's a good thing to know and to believe and have on your mind, but you need to be practically going about the business. You know, I think the most important work that God did was to get us back in Jesus. That God did a lot of work through Jesus to get us back. And, and God says, we're his property. That he does not want anyone else taking us. That he's a jealous God. He says, I am the best for you. I have the best things for you. I do not want anything getting in there. And I think the key to this passage or this verse is that neither did anyone say the things he possessed were his own. Not that they weren't their own things but they said that they weren't their own things. They realized all that they had and that it came from God, that it wasn't their own ability. They didn't pull themselves by their own bootstraps, but really they recognized where these things came from. That yes, I have these things. Yes, the Bible tells me to be a good steward of these things. I need to care for them, and I need to work, and I need to earn things, and I'm not to steal someone else's things. You know, because if, if you take this mindset, you go, well, they said nothing was their own, so that means I'm just gonna go take your car keys, and I'm gonna go drive down the street. Well, I'm going to go take your debit card and I'm going to go, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, God says that nothing was their own anymore. So we're all just have this communal pot and we just take what we want. Well, that's not really the case. You know, they recognize where the things came from. Matthew 5, 44 through 45 says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to, good to those excuse me, who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you or persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. You know, biblical principles about ownership, about sharing, about giving, work in everyone's lives regardless of whether you believe in God or not. You know, if you do the right thing, if you don't break the law, you're not going to go to jail. Whether you love the the law, love the speed limit or not, if you don't break the speed limit, you're not going to get a ticket for breaking the speed limit. You know, it doesn't matter if you love it or not. You know, God blesses people with intelligence, with ability, with, you know, quote-unquote luck, where, oh man, it was the luck of the draw, or uh, all these things worked out, my lucky stars. But really, God just says that it rains on the just and the unjust. He lets these things happen to, to quote-unquote, good people and bad people. But you know what? It, it's really up to us to give God the credit. You know, we either take the credit for ourselves, or we give the credit to God. There was this program called uh, Crown Financial, um, And I haven't done it in a while, but in our church years ago, probably seven years ago now, maybe like something around there, um, we had a couple classes. We did it two or three years in a row where basically they take you through, and it's a workbook and a study guide and a Bible study, and you study some verses and you do a Bible study, and then you uh, go through and do some financial stuff. Um, But really, um, the whole idea was it was realizing that the stuff that we own is not ours. It's God's. Yes, you know, my name is on the title to my car. You know, my name is on the lease to the apartment, things of that nature where I'm responsible for these. But really, I recognize that the only reason why I have that car is because God took care of me for it. You know, I needed a new car. God let someone rear end me and let the insurance check cover it. You know, I don't know how that works. It wasn't up to me. It was, it was the Lord. Um, and that's kind of a, a, an interesting story. But really, that the whole point of the study was realize that, well, when we realize that things are God's, we can take be better caretakers of them. You know, one of those things was not saying my, not saying my. And I know it sounds kind of legalistic and overbearing, but I think it's interesting. Maybe you should try it out for a week if you haven't before. But when you say I'm going to my car, just say I'm going to the car. Or you know, do you want to borrow the car? Do you want to um, whatever it is? Sit in my chair? Do you want to sit in the chair? I think we use this word my a lot, and it really kind of tangles us up. Not that. Not saying the word my is going to change your heart, but I think if we exercise that for a while, we realize, wow, how often do I really think that things are mine and they're not from God? And the point of all this really is that releasing ownership to God of all that we have does, I think, three things. Uh, Probably does a lot more than that, but I'm too simple to (laughs) understand more than three. I think one is it frees us up from worry, frustration, coveting, etc. When we realize Nothing I have here is mine. God has provided this for all me. Even if I went to work all day for it, I know that God helped me get the job. I know God gave me the ability. I know God's given me the grace to be a good employee because if I wasn't a believer, I probably wouldn't be. Things of that nature. I really, it really gets rid of my worry. Oh, someone rammed into my car in the parking lot. Well, God, it's your car. <laughs> it's your problem. It's not my car anymore. I don't have to worry about it. Oh, well, God, you want your car to be dented? That's fine. <laughs> I don't I hope that's not going on right now. But really it frees us up. We're no longer bound to that. You know, I think the second thing it does is it frees our hands up to serve him. Where we're no longer wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off, worried about what we own and what we have, and have we gotten everything that we wanna get in life, we're freed up to serve him. I'm no longer working 20 jobs. Maybe I'm still working 10 jobs because I need to make ends meet, but now I have this free time to serve God. I realize that, yeah, I'm going to come to church and then I'll go to work after. We're freed up to serve Him. We're freed up to serve Him. I think the third thing it does is it frees up our stuff to serve others. When we realize that, hey, this stuff is not my own, when I don't need to worry about the things I have, they're God's anyway. And God says that if I bless others, he's going to bless me and not in this selfish of way, but really that I mean, when we have an open hand before God, he likes to fill them. We get to serve others. Or hey, maybe I really don't need the third TV. Maybe I really don't need you know the 12th mountain bike in my garage. I can now let someone else use it. Or maybe you only have one thing, like the widow with two mites, and you say, I know that God can use this much better than me. Or the boy with his little lunch and he goes, here you go, Jesus, here's my little lunch. There's a lot of people to feed, but I know you can do it. And guess what? Everyone was full. That means he was full. He took his little happy meal and made it into a big thing. And, and that's the same thing. When, we, when, we free, when we're freed up from that worry, when our hands are freed up to serve him, and our stuff is freed up to serve others, man, that's, that's a revelation. That's a revolution. First Timothy 6, 6-12 says, and I just read this the other day, which was awesome. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and clothing with these we shall be content stop there for a second paul says food and clothing if you need food okay get a job if you need clothing okay get a job but after that you know just be content that's that's a hard one but lord i really want to go do this lord i don't have it's it's hard sometimes but those who desire can paul continues on to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man or woman of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you also call excuse me, you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, not that it's wrong to have things, but to be content with the basic things, because when we're not content with the basic things, the result is we begin to covet the non-basic things, and we begin to what? Want to be rich. We want to have more things, and to get more things, we need to make more money, and to get more money, we need to work more hours, and to work more hours, and make more money, and get the raise and promotion. Sometimes, Means we have to do things that aren't necessarily good, and it says that they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's the picture here. That when we when we desire to be rich, not that there's anything wrong with being rich. That God blesses those. Abraham was super rich. Job was the wealthiest man on earth. Jesus, God is rich. <laughs> He's God. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point is, is that with our wickedness and our covetousness and our just messed up lives and hearts, we begin to pierce ourselves through. Where we, oh, I really need to have this, and now you've got this mortgage that's through the roof, and you've pierced yourself through with this mortgage where all you can do is worry about the mortgage, all you can do is go to work, all you can do is fight or whatever it is because you're pierced through with these worries and these sorrows that God said, man, you didn't really need that. You didn't need that. And we see that so often in all cases. You know, a husband and wife, a husband or a wife even goes out and covets and they want someone else and they pierce themselves through with the sorrow of a broken marriage or kids that have turned from them or all sorts of things just because we weren't content with the quote-unquote little things, you know. But the point is here, again, not that we don't own anything anymore, not that we give up all ownership and, you know, I unlock the doors at night and open it up and let anyone come in here. I mean, maybe that would be a good ministry. But really, that these things don't own us anymore. You know, we've that's probably sound advice anywhere you go. You know, Luke 16, 9 through 15, Jesus says, Uh, This is after he gives the parable of the the servant who's about to get fired. And so he calls in half the debts of his master's debtors so that they kind of owe him a favor. So when he gets fired, he'll have a place to go. And Jesus says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That is the things that aren't necessarily of God, they're of the world or of money. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, Jesus says, who will commit to you the trust of the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. This is a tough one, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, Mammon is like earthly riches. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God wow, that's hard. That's a hard section, but I love that the Lord talks about it. You know, in fact, God talks a lot about money in the Bible, Um, somewhere around 2,350 verses about money in the Bible, and uh, I'd have to look it up, but Crown gave a breakdown of these other things that were in there, and he talks about it a lot. He talks about hell a lot, and he talks about money a lot, and You know, maybe someone listening or maybe you go, I knew God was talking about money. I knew I'd hear about money one of these days. That was always a joke in the church uh, in New York where I came from that, you know, whenever we had to talk about money, we're like, look, if this is your first time here, we only talk about it when it comes up in the scripture. Because a lot of people are burned by that. A lot of people are burned. You know, I was turn on the radio in the morning on the way to work and it's, you know, Alistair Begg or uh, Dr. Stanley, these good teachers that I like listening to. And then not that there's necessarily anything wrong with it, but when I turn on the radio in the afternoon, it's, there's always asking for money for one thing or another. And maybe these things are good, but I just go, I don't know. Does that have to be every day? Does it have to be hours and hours every day? You know, God talks a lot about money, those verses again. But why? Why would God talk about money so much? I think it's because our wallets tend to reflect our hearts more often than not. If you or I were to open up our checkbook register or go on QuickBooks or your online statements, whatever it is that you have, and you go through and you see where you're spending your money. Well, groceries, that makes sense. Rent, that makes sense. Bills, that makes sense. but you say, oh, you know, $1,000 at Best Buy, you know, $400 at Lord & Taylor, you know, whatever it is. And you see these other things not being taken care of. Or me, it's like, I won't get into it, but it, you know, there's these struggles. We all have stuff that we like to do or hobbies or things that aren't necessarily wrong. But sometimes, I know I can tell in my own heart, when I begin to get off track, I begin to start investing in things that aren't necessarily wrong, but maybe are beginning to, to want to take possession of me and my finances. You know, one of the things I'm working on right now in, in my freelance job is a, a, a website for this auto brands car dealers. And a lot of it, it's, it's about retaining their customers. It's what they send them at certain times in the month. It's what they send them certain times in their lease or the loan to try and get them to come back and retain the customer. Why? Because the car company wants to keep getting these people's money every month. Whether, you know, they give them the new thing and they get it. And, and if you can afford it, that's great. That's not the point. Um, but really, what we spend our money on shows what we value. Shows what we value. And a lot of people will do whatever they can to get what, they va- what you value from you. What your treasure is. And I ask, is it our kids? Is our family, our friends, others, God, are they what we value? And then turn to that, do they get what we value? You know, I come home. I'm not the best dad, but when I come home, sometimes I'm really tired. I'm just sitting there. My daughter will say, Daddy, color, or, Daddy, hide and seek. And sometimes I have to say no just because I've got a pounding headache. And other times I, I go, yeah, I'm tired, but you know what? How often am I going to have these opportunities with my daughter? And I know that's the Lord in my life. But really, we need to give what we value to God and, and those we value. And this message isn't so much a message on giving. It's not at all what I thought we'd talk about. I thought we'd breeze through the section, get into chapter 5, but I felt like the Lord really kind of uh, had me go through it a little bit more. And again, this message is not a message on giving as it is on letting go. But the point is that not exactly what we're giving, but are we letting go of the things that, that maybe we need to let go of? Verse 33 says. And with great power, the apostle gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I love that we see that there was great power and great grace on the apostles as they gave witness to the resurrection. That's awesome. God gave them the power. God gave them the grace to do it. Why do they need grace? Because who's sufficient for it? Who doesn't mess up from time to time or more often than not? But that's what being a believer is. It's being a witness to the resurrection. I'm sure we've talked about this before, but it's not being God's defense attorney. You know, there's a lot of things that I hear sometimes at work and I want to say something to, and I go, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, and maybe I will in time. But really, I don't need to be God's defense attorney. God doesn't need me to defend him. Uh, I need him to defend me. Instead, we need to be the witness on the stand to the resurrection. The Holy Spirit can be God's lawyer all day long. The Holy Spirit's job is out there to convict and to do all these things. that's not to mean that we don't speak up when we need to. That's not to mean that we don't refute a, a worldly argument. That's not to mean we don't do that. But really, God is his own defense lawyer. We're just a witness. We're just a witness. And I think more than that, we're the evidence that he's alive. Because why are we here? Because somewhere in our life, we realized... I need Jesus, and he showed up. Or really, he showed up, and we realized we kind of needed him. But that's what all this is about. It's giving witness to the resurrection. That's the fruit of these believers being one mind and one heart. That's the fruit of these believers sharing what they have. It's witness to the resurrection. You know, why did you sell your land? Why did you give your nice things to those in need? You just got that diamond necklace, and you gave it away to that homeless person. Why did you do that? Well, because Jesus is alive, and he is all I need. And if he's alive, that means I'm going to heaven one day and heaven has all the riches that I need. I don't need the riches of this earth because the treasures that are in heaven far outweigh the treasures I have here. And that's something that we, I think we all would say we believe. We all would say we believe and even act we believe. But I wonder, in each of us, myself included especially, how deep does that really go? How deep are, are we really committed um, to heaven? And that's not to say, get out your checkbooks right now. That's not at all what I'm saying. Trust me. <laughs> But really, you know, where is our treasure? In Matthew six nineteen through 21, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, that's the same thing with your money. If your treasure is somewhere else, your heart's going to be there. If your treasure is in your bank account, the whole time you're spending time with the Lord, you're going to be thinking about your bank account. If your treasure's in some vacation or something else, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with any of those things or looking forward to these things, that's not the point. The point is, well, is it consuming our entire heart? Is it consuming our entire life? I need to get richer. I need to get richer. I need to have more things. I need to do more things. Um, And that's a struggle, you know, in our society. It's very, it's very prevalent. I mean, that's how advertising works. I work in advertising. That's what they do. that's how we get you is by playing on your desire to have more have better um, or be better with whatever it is but heaven really guys is my 401k I don't have a 401k I think my job offers a 401k and I think they're after a couple months more I think they they put some into it which is nice but maybe I'll invest in it more maybe I won't I don't know I've had them in the past before and and got rid of them when I left certain jobs but really I don't plan on retiring that's kind of a scary thing to say. I don't plan on retiring. And even if I did, I wonder how it would even be possible in this day and age. You know, people who have money lose it um, all the time in the stock market. Um, but really, my retirement plan is heaven, to be honest with you. It's kind of scary in a sense because I realize that, man, if I really screw this pastor thing up, I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but really, I know that if, if, even if I do, God has been gracious with me. But that if I follow the Lord, he's going to take care of me. You know, I don't see any of these apostles retiring. I see John on the island of Patmos, probably scarred and burned but not dead and having visions of the Lord, and, and he's still serving and, and serving God. You know, I'll be fine with when I'm 80. I say that now, but I plan on being fine when I'm 80 if I'm following the Lord, even if I'm working at Walmart. I'm fine now. Well, what's the difference? Yeah, I'll be a little bit tired, but at least I'll say i will probably only got three years left. <laughs> then I'll be in heaven. now I go, oh, man, that's a long time. <laughs> I want the vacation now. But really, I'm hopefully learning to be content with what I have. And this is a constant struggle. There's times when I'm like, man, I'm so content. And then like two days later, I'm like, <laughs> can I put this on the credit card, honey? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it's, it happens that quick. But the more I learn to be content with God, with what God blesses me, the more God blesses me with stuff that I never could have had otherwise. You know, like, I hate to use examples. But I think, you know, like this TV, it's not the nicest TV anymore, but to me it's the nicest TV. I got it for super cheap off my friend who was selling it because he got another one. I couldn't have went out and bought this thing. The car, too. I, you know, I couldn't have went out and got that. I wouldn't even have the credit to get it if I wasn't following the Lord. All these other things. Um, you know, God just works these things out that I never would have had before. You know, I, I look back to being single. And when I was first single, I was making less money than I was making now, but it was pretty close. And then there was one point when I was single where I was making more money than I'm making now. And I wasn't able to make ends meet. <laughs> I was like, how does that happen? And now I'm at this point in my life where I'm making the, what I am down here. I have a wife and two kids. The cost of living is more expensive. And yet somehow God makes everything work. Yeah, And we have stuff. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, it's not like we're living in a lap of luxury and in the back room there's a, a pile of gold coins and I'm diving in like... Uh, Uh, scrooge mcduck on that show you know (laughs) Ducktales. um you know if you're a child of my age you know that (laughs) you know what it is but really it's like our our needs are met you know the ac's on i get the bill and i go oh it's not as bad as i thought it was going to be but god takes care of our needs you know does that mean i have everything i want no i'm sure there's a a huge wish list on amazon (laughs) but do i need those things no absolutely not again the point here is to to take care of the church Again, that's the people. It's not the building. You know, we don't have a building, so we don't have to worry about that. But really, it's about taking care of the people. First Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for his own household, he is denied the faith, and check this out, worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever, Paul says, if you don't take care of your own and your family. His own will, who's your own? Well, probably your friends, maybe your neighbors, maybe your coworkers, people that are close to you or valuable to you. Uh, what about the church? You know, the church is your spiritual family. I got saved, and not all of my family have come back to the Lord yet. They still haven't come back. But even then, the people that are believers are closer to me, in a sense, than my family. It's a different closeness, but the family of God is my family. If my family tells me to do one thing, and it's against what would be beneficial to the family of God in general, I'm not going to do that, you know, my unbelieving family. But, you know, God says especially his own household. You know, my duty as a a dad and a husband is to take care of my wife and kids. Does that mean that they're totally helpless? No, my wife's not helpless. She's probably more capable than me in a lot of things. But my duty is to take care of her. My duty is to take care. If I'm not taking care of her and my kids, well, then I I shouldn't be up here. If I'm not taking care of them, if I'm not meeting their needs, well, I need to go meet their needs. Um, I need to work. I need to work hard. You know, I've technically, you know, it's really two and a half jobs. I've several jobs right now. I have my full-time job. I have uh, freelance work, which I do here and there, which isn't a big deal. I kind of fit it in whenever, you know, it's even kind of fun. I fit in last night because I was in the mood. Uh, But, you know, i also a pastor. It's not that I do a lot yet, but there's things that go into that. There's studying, there's pursuing books, there's meetings, there's other things that go on. And I'm glad to do that. But I do that because I know that's what God has called me to do that. And I do that, and again, because like Paul says, I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I'm not going to come down here, not get a job, not... You know, get two jobs if I have to, three if I have to, to make ends meet for my family. To come down here and say, "Well, God called me down here. Why don't you guys meet my needs?" Not at all. Not at all. And I think a lot of people do that, but that's not what we see in the scripture. Because I'm of age, I'm able to work. Why shouldn't I work just like the rest of you? Why shouldn't I work just like anyone else? And if I work for the rest of my life, if I never collect a quote-unquote full-time paycheck from the church, well, that's God's will, and I'll go to heaven, and that's fine. I don't see Paul collecting much. I see Paul collecting shackles. Um, again, that's that's a struggle. You know, people will, people will get into the ministry for money, and I go, why? There's <laughs> not that much. But again, you know, if someone wanted to come to Maryland to make money uh, or save money, I'd say there's probably a lot better places to go where they tax you less. We had a board meeting for another church I'm involved with um, in New York last night, and we talked about... Uh, one guy's in Florida, and another guy's in Indiana, and they're trying to get me to move out there as a joke. I'm like, "Well, tell me what the tax laws are." <laughs> so, but anyway, I'm here because God has us here, and and, and I'm glad that I'm glad for that. I'm glad glad God has us here because I think if I were to go somewhere else, I wouldn't be where God wants me. Uh, you know, maybe I'd have the things I want, but then my kids wouldn't have a good example. It's like it would just be a huge mess. You know, where else could we go? Where else could we go but where the Lord would have us be? And that's for everybody. But has god blessed us yes i have a job you know i have a family we have a house of our heads we have you guys who are, are you know we're becoming close friends with i believe and we're blessed by you being here um sincerely sincerely you know it's it's good but if i'm giving all the way that i have to the homeless or to the church or my kids are going hungry you know there's probably more than likely something wrong and that goes for all of us i think if i'm turning my back on my unbelieving family that's a big problem, too. Uh, God says it's worse than not being a believer. You know, there's a time for us to come out and separate and learn about the things of God and and be able to go back and minister. And there's also things like there's a different way we're going to minister to unbelievers than we are to believers. You know, there's certain things that God would have us do to believers that we wouldn't do to believers and vice versa. But the point is that if we love God, we must love others. You know, Psalm 128 says, When you... uh, you know, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and that shall be well with you. You know, your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. it's a saying, if we fear the Lord, and we do our work, whether it's spiritual or physical or whatever it is, that our family is going to be blessed. Our kids are going to be blessed. And that's what I want to see, you know, that there's this fruit of this labor. You know, one piece of advice that's been given to me a lot by uh, a pastor I know from his experiences that man don't neglect your family spend more time with your family spend more time with your kids you know the church will be okay you know he he worked a lot and served a lot in the church and i don't think he neglected his family per se looking on but i think he looks back and goes man i i probably missed out on things that i wish i you know i probably didn't have to miss out on that's the same thing you know i want to be devoted to my kids while while i still have time with them you know, First Thessalonians 4 says, um, you know, uh, that you also asp- aspire to lead a quiet life, verse 11, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing, that it's okay to work. It's okay to meet your own needs financially and physically because we want to be good witnesses. We don't want to have any lack. We want to take care of our family and friends, but we also want to be a good witness in the community that yeah, maybe I do have debt, but I'm paying that debt off responsibly. Or maybe I don't want to have debt anymore because I want to be a responsible citizen. Or maybe I, I do pay my bills on time because I want to be a good citizen. And There's times when, when we all falter and, and fail in these things, but the point is that we're not going out there living off the lamb because we want to be a good witness. And more than that, if we have our own needs met, we then have this surplus per se that we can now bless others bless others. You know, to have that brotherly love is good, but that love needs to keep increasing. That if we're we're loving each other, love needs to keep growing and keep increasing. Otherwise, I think it's becoming stagnant. You know, Romans 10 says in 14 and 15, uh, I'm just going to read the second one for time. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things that You know, someone has to spread the gospel, whether it's you or whether it's me or a missionary or an evangelist or another church plant or a parachurch organization or a pregnancy center or a center for orphans or something of that nature. But those things couldn't exist if people didn't provide for them. Yeah, they might exist in some sense. And God, of course, is going to get the gospel out irrespective of who gives to the mission or whatever. But we get to be a part of that. And part of the way we can go and be a part of someone else spreading the gospel is by giving financially to them. You know, I have friends who go, who go to China and I try to give to them when they go. It's not that much, but it's a little bit. Same thing, I have a friend who uh, is involved in, with these girls who are were in the orphanage system in Romania and they've now come out and sometimes they're pregnant, sometimes they're just grown out of the system. And she has a house where she and a, another girl or two bring these girls in, help them raise their children, help them get skills for life and learn how to do things that they might live and be a part of society. And again, we support that. We don't, you know, what we give probably doesn't do very much at all. But I still want to try and help in in a little way as possible. Because if everyone did that, you know, if everyone in America gave a dollar, you'd have $370 million. That's a lot. But it says here, as we're going to wrap up here in a minute, that they laid it at the apostles' feet and the apostles distributed it uh, as they saw the need. You know, they gave it to the leaders to make the decisions. Um, again, later on we'll read about deacons and widows and ministries in those sections, and there's a lot of instruction for that in Scripture, In um, uh, helps ministries a lot of the time. There's a requirement. You come in, we'll meet with you, we'll pray with you, but let's let's look over your finances before we start giving to you regularly. Sure, someone comes in and, and told me in the past that you know they didn't have money for gas, or it came up in a conversation that they didn't have money for groceries, and they weren't even asking. I'd say, come with me, we'll go in the office, get a couple of the gift cards that people had donated and give them to them. You know, if they are coming in every week, you know, it might be a different story. I'd say, let's sit down and see what the issue is. Oh, you have a Lexus payment. Well, let's sell this Lexus and <laughs> get you, you know, a Chevy. And then, you know, we'll go from there. You know, sometimes there's financial things that need to be adjusted, but that's helping them. That's helping them. Um and, and that's the part of why they gave to the leaders, I think, to be responsible with these things. Because sometimes the leadership knows of a need that the body doesn't know about. As people just share stuff with leadership or they see you around the church, they'll begin to share things with you that not everyone might know. And and that's why it's important that we bring things to the leadership. But also, I think if we don't, there is that real like kind of pull like, well, let me make up my own mind on how I'm going to give this give this gift, you know, if I don't, if I'm not giving it to the Lord, let me make up my own mind how I'm doing it. And that can be kind of dangerous. Sometimes we just need to commit it to the Lord and let the Lord take it because we really don't want to take credit for it. You know, again, with these needs, sometimes we don't need to make our needs known. Sometimes we need to tell somebody, sometimes we don't. There's been times in my life when I'm walking out of church, I don't have much money, I don't have any money. This was a couple years ago, I was out of work. You know, I'd get home or before, actually, let me, I'll tell an actual story, not just a uh, generalization, of several. Um, I'm leaving church, and someone hands me an envelope. I hung around church a little bit longer, see what the Lord might do, maybe see what was going to happen after me. Someone hands me an envelope, says, this was in a tie box. has my name on it. doesn't have a return name. It's got cash in it. So there are times when Ash and I were living in New York, I open up the mail one day. I pull an envelope. It's got my name. The address is wrong. It doesn't even have a return address on it. And there's cash inside for us. I'm like, I didn't tell anybody we had a need. God just showed it up, and I know these things sound crazy. And sometimes they happen, and I'm excited. And sometimes they don't happen. I go, God, you did this before. How come we didn't do it now? God has a way of working with these things. You know, God knows our needs, and, and the point is, is that God wants to take care of our needs. It doesn't always look the way we expect. Sometimes it means we have to sell that Lexus. But God meets those needs. You know, Second Corinthians nine seven. God says, "So let each one give as he purposes in his heart." not grudgingly or of necessity for god loves a cheerful giver um you know god wants us to give cheerfully god doesn't want us to give out of obligation and that's what these people were doing here they're one mind one heart one accord and they said let's just do this man god put it on my heart to sell this let me do this god put it on my heart to give you this let me do this and i tell you i've seen a lot of times that people just do that man god put you on my heart lately i'm going to take you out to dinner god put me, you on my heart lately i I'm going to do this for you, or I'm going to bring this and donate it, or we had a need at church or somewhere and someone would bring something in just because they felt like the Lord was leading it to. Not because we put a notice in the announcements. Not because we put, uh, you know, uh, a sign up front, you know, church building fund. God just began to do those things. And Jesus says in Matthew 22 through 21, he says, They said to him, uh caesar's when he's talking about a coin he said to them render therefore to the caesar things that are caesar's and to god the things that are god's yes god wants us to tithe and i'm not going to get into it for time and, and we should have offerings and things like that but again it needs to be of a cheerful thing a, a cheerful heart and the point is is that the government wants their money the government's name is on the money they want their money but god wants your heart the government wants their money but god wants your heart god doesn't care about your money uh psalms talks about in psalm 50 about god owning the cattle on a thousand hills god owns everything he doesn't need you know your measly checkbook even if you're a billionaire it's still measly to god <laughs> he goes i don't want that he goes i want your checkbook if in turn it gives me your heart if your heart is brought to me because of you've given over your checkbook that's fine you know god doesn't need those those money possessions or service from us god doesn't need us to serve god doesn't need me down in maryland God doesn't need you guys to be here. I love being down here. I love that you guys are here and we're together. But God doesn't need us to do this. We get to be a part of this. We get to do this. But you know, someone else might need us to be here. Someone else might need our money. Someone else might need our possessions. And yeah, we can't just go off the needs sometimes because there's lots of needs out there. And we go broke real quickly trying to meet everyone's needs. We need to be prayerful how we meet those needs. We need to be led how we meet those needs. But really... The point is is that sometimes God gives us more that we might be a blessing to others. It says that the apostles gave witness, again, to touch back on that. And I think, again, in part because the people gave to support it. You know, I don't know if the apostles have been able to do all that they were doing and share all they were sharing and organize all they were doing if if the people weren't following the Lord's leading. And again, I have this large and in green on my notes. It says, I don't want your money. I don't. I don't need your money. This church, we don't need each other's money per se and right now even technically we can't even really legally pool it if we want tax credit on it yeah if we want to go out and do something or you guys thought it wanted to do something i'm all for that but really god doesn't need it that's not what this message is about i'm not asking you guys to give i'm not i don't I don't want you guys giving. it. And, you know, in New York, there was a time when the pastors didn't even know what people were giving. The deacons counted. And we had this thing when we count, we try not to look at the names. And the other person would do the names and try not to look at the numbers because, you know, you don't want to get mixed up in that. But really, God doesn't need that. God wants us to come and give cheerfully, whatever it is. Maybe it is money. Maybe it is your time. Maybe it is just, I don't know. I don't know. But God wants us to, to come and give what he's asking us to give. Um, you know, Malachi says, Can a man rob God? No, he can't. But do you have a lack in your life? Do you have a need? Maybe we've held back. And this isn't the idea of name it, claim it. You know, write me a check in faith, brother. Put out your credit card and $100,000 tie and you'll see a check in the mail from whatever. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sometimes our lives get plugged up like a drain in your tub, and the water gets stagnant and the water gets full. And sometimes we have to unplug that drain, whether it's giving. Whether it's evangelism, whether it's praying, whether whatever it is, sometimes our lives get stagnant and our needs aren't met. You know, I'm still dirty. Let me unplug this. Let me unplug this. You know, again, we won't get into tithes and offerings for time. um, Because again, these are offerings. These are people of free will saying, God led me to do this. I'm going to do this. And they had all things in common. They had all things in common. They said, hey, we have needs. We realize we're a family. We're going to take care of each other's needs. Just like I'm going to take care of my family's needs You know, I'm not going to tell my daughter to go out and find dinner for herself. I'm going to make sure that we have a way to get dinner for her. But that's the ministry. That's the ministry, guys, is saying, hey, God's blessed me. There's somebody who needs this. Let me take care of it for them. And again, these people are to be our examples how we should live. I think it's an example how we should live, not necessarily how we should practically do it. I don't think any of us necessarily should go out here and go sell our car or go sell our house or do anything like that and come bring it and lay it at any one of our other feet. You know, if God puts on your heart to do that, great. But if not, don't do it. We're going to get into it next week. I hope to, I hope to have gotten into it today. Um, but I think we, it was important to, to look at all these things in detail that when people begin to do things just because they think it's what you have to do or what you're supposed to do or to keep up appearances, it can be a lot of trouble. You know, again, one last point as we close. This is not the social gospel. This is not what goes around in certain circles of Christianity, or even the Pope, where he decries capitalism as evil and, and things of that nature. Yeah, our society, love of money has created a lot of evil. But again, God's, God's concern primarily is not the poor. God cares about the poor. God wants us to take care of the poor, as we're going to see a lot of examples in Scripture. And even Jesus' half-brother says, if you don't take care of the, the widows and the orphans, you know, I don't think your faith is real. So that's not what God is saying, but God's priority is that the gospel goes out. The priority here, the, the pinnacle of all this, was that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was witnessed to in power and in grace. And how's that happen? Not by giving, but by changed lives. By changed lives. And that's and a changed life is going to affect somebody way more than a check or a government policy or anything of that nature. Amen? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, God, that you would bless it and use it and shake us up God to help us live for you and not that uh, there's anything wrong with owning things God I know you bless us with so many and you will always do that and it's okay to to earn things and get things that we work for but God help us to not be owned by them help us to not be tied down by our jobs uh, if at all possible but help us to serve you and to uh, be content with food and clothing if that's as, as little as you would give us but God you give given us so much more and even that, you give us more in your sons. So help us to be faithful and to love you and to love others and to, uh, to hang on to what's truly valuable, uh, uh, the heavenly currency of love, Lord, when we ask in Jesus' name, amen.